Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 112 and episode 39, all at the same time. Recorded at various times throughout the history of the network. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. This is Mark. Chris and Seth are, are, are with me. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hey and uh, we are recording this short intro to you. Uh, as I mentioned previously, if you've uh, listened to past shows, I am currently at this very moment ensconced in the uh, the hallowed halls that are the Magic Kingdom. I took my kids uh, to uh, Disney. I am there right now through the magic of time travel. Not really. Um, I'm actually in my basement right now, but by the time you're listening to this, I will be uh, there. So what we decided to do this week was give you uh, a uh, a replay of one of our favorite episodes, uh, the one that uh, that we tend to that we think is the funniest, or not the funniest, but one of the best, and that we get uh, a lot of comments on. And uh, so we will talk just a little bit uh, about what that show is, um, and and then we'll get right to it. But before we do that, let me tell you about our awesome sponsor, the LinuxAcademy.com. It's a place for all your Linux learning needs, uh, where you can uh, browse through almost 200 different online videos that uh, each one uh, designed to take you from knowing nothing to knowing stuff about Linux. Um, with uh, op the opportunity to become a certificate, it's really a career-building opportunity. Uh, so you get, uh, like I said, about 200 different videos. You get PDF study guides and, and downloadable uh, uh, companion materials. Uh, you, you can also, if you want to, you can download the whole kit and caboodle on, or not download it, but have them send you a, a DVD, probably more than one DVD at this point. Uh, the, so if you're interested in that, if you're bandwidth impaired, or you travel a lot, or you fly a lot, and you just can't be streaming stuff, uh, contact Anthony and he can do that for you. Um, but uh, not only do you get the videos and the, the PDF study guides, we also get this uh, great uh, tracking system, this a la carte learning system that, called, that he calls is the lesson browser. So you don't have to take courses. You can take individual lessons, and the system will track what you've done and, um, and let you know how you did on the quizzes that come after. Yes, I did say quizzes. Not only is there learning, but there's a way to check your learning. So you, you, you watch a, a course, uh, you go through the thing, you take a quiz on it, and you make sure you actually understood it and the beauty of it is it's an all-you-can-eat buffet of knowledge so if you didn't get it the first time you simply go back and watch it again until you can ace that test but and i say that because it's not a it's not an easy test it's not a test that you can do uh without actually knowing the stuff and that's the point of a test right so yeah, you get all of that great stuff. And also, they have a new course on right now. It's the AWS, which is Amazon Web Services Certified Solution Architect. There's a course online for that. So if you want to learn how to run Amazon stuff, uh, you can do that. People have taken it and been certified already. They passed the exam uh, because the learning is that good over at, at uh, the LinuxAcademy.com. How much are you going to pay for this? How about we start with a dollar? One dollar gets you in the door for two weeks. And so you can look around, you can do whatever you want, you can watch as many videos as you want, you can download as many things as you want. Uh, the site is yours. It's not a crippleware. It's not some limited thing. It's just, it's, it is access to the site for, two, for 14 days, for two weeks, for a dollar. And after you've looked around for two weeks and you want to stick around, and I know you will because it's that good, um, it's only another $18 to finish out the month. That's right, $19, not even $20, $19 a month 
uh, for all this education. But because Anthony's such a deal maker, he's a Monty Hall kind of guy, you buy two months, he'll throw in a third one for free. You can buy a quarter for $38. So maybe you try your first two weeks and uh, you you think you like it. You can go ahead and finish out that quarter. Buy a quarter for $38. So now for $39, you have three months of high-quality education. Really, where else are you going to get that? Go try, try to take a college class for uh, a full three months for $39. Let me know how that works out for you. Yeah, I don't um, think it's going to happen very good there, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> but you <laughs> yeah, can get sorry. that. You can get that here at the Linux Academy. And not only uh, do you do that, but they give you this awesome uh, lab over the, up in the Amazon cloud of up to eight different servers that you can work with while you're doing this. So it's not just watch and, and guess. It's not just uh, experimentation and, and copying. You're actually doing stuff. So you watch them do it. You, you do the th- same thing on the same server that he's actually working on and teaching from. So it's as, it's as, it's as, real, world as real world as you can get. You're actually doing real stuff on real computers. It's a real thing. And it's cheap. But it's not. No, let me rephrase it. It's inexpensive. It's not cheap. It's high quality production. It's high definition. In fact, it's all mobile friendly. So if you're watching on your your uh, tablet device or your telephone, you're good to go there. But everything is in full HD, mobile ready, and just good. That's all I have to say about Linux Academy. You guys got anything to throw in there? Well, I'll definitely say uh, it's command, like line approved. I'm a- command line I'm approved. Command line approved. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's uh, it's uh, GUI approved because I give them money every month. I am a paying customer, and I don't part with my money. It takes a lot to get me to release my money. <laughs> so. so there you go. It is both command line approved and GUI approved. Where else are you going to find that? I don't, I don't know. It's it's like you got your chocolate and my peanut butter, or you got your peanut butter and my chocolate, or, or whatever. <laughs> so um, that's, that's all we have to say about that. Uh, and now let's tell you about... The show that you're about to listen to, it was recorded way back in February of 2012. I think that's right. Um, yes, yeah, February like 2012. Yes. And I, w- I was not in for this show, so I'm glad to be around for the, the talking about it. I downloaded it and I listened to it again today, so I would you know, have it kind of fresh in my mind to be able to vaguely talk about what, we, what y'all talked about then, back when Aaron was still around. So Aaron, you guys remember Aaron, the noob in residence? Maybe not, because he hasn't been around for a while. But Aaron told a great story uh, about that didn't actually have anything to do uh, with uh, with computing at all, but it became um, sort of a running gag around here. Boris, yeah, I did. Boris the technician. Boris, who can who can build a firewall that you can't touch? Don't look at it. Just trust me. It works. <laughs> It worked good. You have cash, good. So no one, no one get in. So we uh, that She's episode, good. that that thing, we 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 took that Boris moniker and we called any homegrown, um, build it yourself firewall the Boris box. And this show, episode thirty nine, all the way back in February of twenty twelve, is the Boris box episode where we talk about how the the very Boris boxes we run, how you can use it, some recommendations for it. I think it's fun. I think it's funny and it's informative. And um, here it is again. Unmistakable evidence has established the fact. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 39, The Boris Box, recorded February 12, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week, we're going to uh, uh, touch on an, a previous episode where we talked about Boris and his firewall that it work, no touch. And we're going to talk about how you can make your own hardware firewall. If you don't want to just buy a little plastic box and stick it under your bed, uh, we're going to talk to you about some of your options. So uh, with me this week to do that are the uh, perennial co-hosts. They're here every year and they bloom. Uh, starting with Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris, what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot, everyone, and welcome to the show. I, I see you got your mic working again. Are you still running under Windows 7, or did you give up and go back to Linux? Yes, I work under Windows. <laughs> at least at home for now. It's a temporary situation. It is. And Very a, temporary. And also with us this week is Mr. Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. Hey, Aaron, what's going on? Hello, the, I'm the rhubarb of Everyday Linux. Uh, the rhubarb? Yeah, one of the two perennial vegetables. Oh, nice. She'd already called us perennials <laughs> a moment ago. That makes Chris asparagus. <laughs> yeah, I had some of that today. Dibs on rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the you new title for it. the show, Dibs on Rhubarb. And you can have uh, it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm in a very uh, boss radio mood today. I, I keep wanting to do everything like this. And, uh, boss, Vic Goss. <laughs> How you sleeping? Hit me. <laughs> So anyway, uh, guys, what's going on in your uh, lives this week? I, my life has been turned upside down pretty significantly over the last seven days, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But uh, what about you guys? What's going on with you? Well, if you've listened to my my podcast, the, my primary podcast, One More Workout, you know that I've done the Tough Mudder, which is a big uh, 9 to 12 mile you know, Special Forces obstacle course. I had a friend that did the Georgia Tough Mudder this weekend. I did the one up in Wintergreen, Virginia, and uh, it was pretty cold when he did it on Saturday, and they had a lot of water obstacles. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but Georgia, in Georgia, winter finally arrived this morning. Today was day two of the Tough Mudder. They do it, they do it over two days, so you can do it either day, uh, and it was 14 degrees this morning when we got up. Wow. So somewhere about two hours southwest of Atlanta, there was a bunch of crazy people raising money for the wounded warrior by jumping into water, climbing through water, crawling through mud in literally 15 degree weather. And those who said, no, I'll do it Sunday. I don't want to do it Saturday are really mad at themselves right now. Yeah. I would yeah in fact, so. my wife corrected me. They, they weren't climbing the water. They were climbing into ice. <laughs> there were right. pictures of some of the water obstacles that had ice floating on the top of them. I wonder if they They're, had people breaking up the ice. No, they had it. Yeah. They had a, they showed them running through one of the mud fields and literally there was, you know, pie plate sized pieces of ice still on the surface wow. where they had, it had been frozen overnight. So I'm glad I didn't do that one. Mine had hills, you know, lots of really ridiculously high, big, long, evil hills. Um, but I don't know if I'd rather have the hills and, and walk like John Wayne from a trail after a trail ride for three <laughs> days, like I did or, uh, or the ice. I don't know. It got down pretty cold here. I mean, for Texas standards, it was 24 or so overnight. Which is a spring day for you, right, Chris? Well, which bringing that up, that's kind of an odd subject because right now we're in a weird weather pattern. Our coldest day, this, uh, I think we got down to minus ten for one night, and then it's back up to you know fourteen is the overnight low and twenty is the overnight low for the rest of the week. So it's weird. We're not very cold this year. 
positively balmy up there, it sounds like. <laughs> it is. It's sweatshirt weather. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's actually people running around in flip-flops and, and shorts, too, still. so Watch out so you don't get a sunburn out there when you're swimming in it. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> I've got family yeah. who live in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and we went to visit them in the summer. And it was, uh, I think the high was 60 when we were there, uh, which is a fairly typical, uh, as I understand it, for that time of, of year. And they were going swimming at the base of the melted glaciers. And they invited us to come along. And I said, no, I don't think so. 60 degrees is not swimming weather when you're from Texas. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. That's, that's ice fishing awesome weather. weather. <laughs> that's, that's ice awesome fishing weather. weather. I like that. <laughs> well, this week, uh, I went to um, the second largest ed tech conference in the country, which is the Texas Computer Education Association Conference in Austin, TCEA. And a special shout out. To Mr. Chuck Jolly, known as Nightstar in the chat room. I met him there. He was a Tightwad Tech listener, and he walked up to me and, and stuck out his hand and said, Hi, I'm Nightstar. And I went, Oh, hey, I know that name. This is kind of cool to meet somebody there. It was almost yeah. like I was famous for just a half a second. <laughs> so thanks for, for listening in, Chuck. And uh, I've been talking to him about maybe getting him on uh, Tightwad Tech and doing a listener spotlight because he's uh, got some interesting stuff going on at his school. But one of the things, one of the conversations I was having when I was um, there in Austin was a friend of mine who knows that we do the podcast, asked why I didn't do more promotion about it, self-promotion, telling people about it. And, you know, how come I didn't basically advertise myself? And it's a question I get asked a lot. So I thought I would mention it on this show, and I'll probably bring it up again on the Tightwad Techs, and those are our two biggest shows right now. My philosophy on self-promotion has always been, if I have to tell you what I did, then what I did wasn't worth being noticed. You need to, other people need to be bragging about what I do, or it needs to be um, so good that uh, it comes to your attention through other means. That, that's, maybe it's humility. Maybe if Sean were here, Sean Kaibo of the Taiwa Tech, he, he would say that's just dumb because he's all about self-promotion and, and, and really just being shameless in, in advertising your personal brand. But that's just not the way I look at it. The way I look at it, if you're not telling other people about me, then I'm not good enough yet, and I need to be better. Because when I'm good enough, you will want to tell everybody about it. You won't, won't be able to stop telling people about me. So if I have to tell you about me and tell other people about me, I'm not good enough yet. That's just my philosophy on the, on the subject. You know, and I feel the same way. That's why I don't... Um, do any advertisement for my home business. Um, I don't think I've the most advertising I've done is put some business cards out in different locations. And that was about it. Well, I'm going to have to play Mr. Roper um, and agree with both of you <laughs> because I think promotion is not a bad thing because you might reach a, you know, a demographic or, or you know, a horizontal demographic that or vertical, I guess it'd be that you would not tap into normally just because, you may not know anybody in that realm or you may not have friends in that realm or whatever. So I think the promotion is okay. But at the same time, if you are doing a good job, the word of mouth should also be spreading too. So I don't, I don't have a problem either way. Yeah. So those of you out there who are, um, are thinking, you know, Hey Mark, why don't you do X? Why don't you buy Google AdWords ads or whatever? I, I'm really counting on you. Um, so if I don't if, think they're going to buy ads for us, Mark, <laughs> that's true. I want you to be our ads. You know how you can be our ad. You could go to lmopcom and click the, uh, sh uh, store button at the top there and buy a hat, buy a shirt. They're good quality hats. They've got a cool logo on them 
And everywhere you go, people will say, what's that? And you get to ask us about it. That's right. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's just my thought about that. I, I encourage you all. I know this is the wrong show for that since we're all Linux guys and, and iTunes doesn't work on Linux. If you're an iTunes user, go to the iTunes store and rate us, leave a comment if you want. But if nothing else, just write us, put a star there, because that's what draws attention to the iTunes people. And maybe we could get featured. And and when you get featured, lots and lots of good things can happen. Something else you can do is go to ellenopi.com slash um, facebook.com forward slash ellenopi and like a particular podcast that you liked. Because when you do that, that'll show up in your feed yeah. and all your friends will see how many uh, will see that podcast and go, oh, that might be, you know, if, if Fred liked that, maybe I should listen to it. I know. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you checked this out or not, but Facebook tells me how many distinct friends my people who like my Facebook page for One Mill Workout have. Right. Currently, there's about 53,000 distinct people that my friends have as friends. Actually, not my friends. The people who have liked my page right. have as friends. So that's a pretty good size audience. And so if if uh, you know if a half a dozen people go in there and say they like a particular podcast that shows up on my page, that's that's a good way to advertise. It doesn't cost them anything but a second. Right. And uh, yep. it passes the word. And on every episode, <clears throat> excuse me, on every episode we put out in the show notes on the front page or when you click in uh, and go back to previous episodes, there's a tweet button, there's a like button, there's a plus one button that you don't even have to go to any of those other sites. You just click that. And if you're logged into Google Plus or if you're logged into Facebook, it'll like it for you just at the click of a button. So just some simple things you can do. They don't mean a lot to a lot of people. But it can make somebody else who's never heard of us go, hey, what's that? And go, yep. yep. So anyway, that's all I had to say about that. Chris, what, what did you have to say for us this week? <laughs> well, my daughter, um, who's three, made everyone I know pretty much fall out of the chairs laughing when I tell them the story. So I figured I would share it with our audience because I know most of them are fathers or have daughters or sons or whatever that would make a similar comment. So, But this is what my daughter did this this past Friday, um, I once in a while we give our kids a little treat, and to, Friday night was Oreos, so we handed out a couple Oreos to the kids. And my daughter runs away into her room, and she's you know munching the Oreo away, and then she exclaims as loud as she can, "Oh no!" and runs back into the kitchen. Daddy, my Oreo disappeared. And of course, she has the ring of Oreo <laughs> around her face, and her tongue is black, and. She's just nom, 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 nom. My Oreo's gone. It disappeared. It was magic. <laughs> of course, since it, was so, since it was so cute, I, I had to give her another one just because, you know, it was cute. So she runs back off to her bedroom, and you hear from the bedroom in loud and clear le- words, Abracadabra, Oreo disappeared. Nom, 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 <laughs> And it then, of course, repeated. So I had a good chuckle this whole weekend. So how many Oreos did she get out of you doing <clears> that? Out of me, two. <clears throat> out of uh, a friend of mine who's been a close friend since I was probably, I don't know, a freshman in high school, um, another six. Because, oh, wow. he's, because he's a sucker. So this is the man who also sat in my living room with my son when he was three and polished off, I think it was two bags of Oreos and a gallon of milk one morning. You may want to uh, listen to our most recent episode of uh, Everyday, uh, excuse me, One Meal, One Workout, where we talk about stemming childhood obesity if your kids are putting away Oreos at that rate. 
Well, but you also got to remember what my kids do for fun. <laughs> yeah, my taekwondo. son's a Taekwondo student, and my daughter runs just as fast as he does. So I don't think we have to worry about that just yet. <laughs> Maybe adolescent obesity I got to worry about, but not childhood. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's move on and talk about some Linux news. There's not a lot this week. Uh, just one that uh, OpenStack is going to remove Hyper-V support in their yep. quarter two release. Yep. I found that one as a follow-up to last week's where they're saying they were thinking about it, and then I got a notice saying that it wasn't a think, it was a, yes, it's going to happen. So, just uh, if anyone is wondering, it's going to happen as of the Q2 release, unless Microsoft starts taking care of it. And that's the thing that Microsoft was, was saying, let us fix it. And OpenStack was saying, no, we're going to take it out because it's broken. Microsoft said, no, let us fix it. Well, apparently they're not listening to Microsoft at this point. They don't believe that uh, they're going to fix it. It's it's I, From what I was reading, it was one of those things where they need to have it fixed before it goes back in. Right. So, you know, um, if you are one of those people that need um, Hyper, Hyper-V in your OpenStack, then... Uh, the heck just happened? <laughs> I think Aaron just passed out. <laughs> I, I just totally got broken because of the, our fellow, oh, our fellow everyday Linuxer just ran him from the computer. <laughs> Welcome back, Aaron. Okay, so uh, OpenV dropping HyperStack or, or OpenStack dropping HyperV. There's some opens and some hypers in there. Yep. <clears throat> so, guys. Uh, Chris, what kind of a firewall do you run at your house? I run PFSense. Uh, on what sort of hardware? It's a P4 with two gigs of RAM. Okay. So just a spare box you had laying around. Yep. Pentium 4 isn't exactly modern. Uh, Aaron, what about you? Right. What do you run? I run AT&T Uverse. <laughs> so whatever the box they gave you there built into the router? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do anything. Uh, I live, I have enough buffer right now that I'm out of the range of anybody unless they drove up in my driveway and tried to, to, to get me or got up in a tree a couple of miles away and with the YAG antenna and pointed it at my house and stole my bandwidth or something crazy like that. But I'm so, pretty sure there's no out of range on the internet. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I was thinking totally Wi-Fi. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. But I still just using the AT&T, um, U-verse router. Okay. That's all. I've done the you know penetration test, the freebie that Gibson does, and I, there's nothing really to steal them. I'm 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 stealthed. Yeah, for the most part, and I'm I don't have anything. I don't keep anything that I would care if people stole all my stuff anyway. So, and and uh, we'll talk about those little uh, you know little routers uh, in a minute as we go on. I, uh, currently, right now, I am running just a Cisco. Uh, who bought Linksys a cheap little uh, router uh, as my firewall and using its built-in stuff. Yes, I did change the default password. Uh, uh-huh. That's good. But uh, I used to be running um, a different one that we'll talk about here in a little bit. And the reason I changed is because my ISP was blaming my unconventional firewall for my dropout problems. And it's one of those things you you can't argue. There's no point in arguing. All you have to do, all you can do is change it and then prove to him that it didn't make any difference. Um, I think well, I've mentioned- so far it's working. We haven't dropped yet. Oh, no, it's still dropping <laughs> like crazy. I, I think I've mentioned on the show before, I, I know it, 
and everybody who's ever watched this show live knows that uh, periodically my internet access will just drop for just like 45 seconds. Not very long, but that's certainly long enough to kill a Ustream upload and a Skype uh, conversation. So uh, it's happening uh, fairly regularly, most often in the evenings. And I've talked with uh, uh, Time Warner Cable was my provider. I've talked with their support a few times, and uh, they go back and forth between denying the problem and saying that they'll get somebody out who never comes. But interesting, uh-huh. they do that. interesting just recently I was talking to somebody who I didn't know. It was a friend of a friend kind of thing. And he mentioned that he can't uh, play his World of Warcraft because every time he, he's on, uh, it'll drop for just like 45 seconds at a time. I said, hey, you must have Time Warner Cable, don't you? And he lives um, on a completely different node way across town. So that says to me that it's a systemic problem, probably where the Internet comes into our town. And most likely the entire town is dropping out for 45 seconds at a time, <clears throat> which would certainly explain why they're denying it. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants deny, to deny, deny, deny. Or maybe that's their their way of, of uh, trying to kill torrenters. You know, if we just drop it for a few seconds, it'll break those connections. I, I ISPs think stupid things like that all the time. Fact well, is, but that would not break torrents because right. torrents are made to handle that break. Right. The, all the things that they try to break are the things that are most resilient to that. However, <laughs> the guy trying to watch Netflix is going to ruin his day. You know, or oh, yeah. trying to have a Skype conversation. But anyway, um, I probably will end up going back to something else once I finally get them to admit that it's their problem. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> why not just use a Linksys or a D-Link or a, a $50 off-the-shelf router, firewall? Well, for my personal reasons, uh, I quit using one of those little plastic boxes when I started having more than a couple of connections out to the Internet. Um my laptop, my wife's laptop. Uh, once I started adding my son and all the other things in my in my house, um, we noticed that if we were streaming music in the living room and my son was playing a game, I couldn't browse the internet at all. Um, it was just something to do with my little box that couldn't handle it. So then we upgraded to another little box with something like, um, what was it? I put DDR. Um, WRT on it, and it did okay for a while, and then we added two or three more boxes, and now if I don't have something that's got a little bit of horsepower behind it, um, it, it just makes browsing in my house horrible. Right. The other thing, the other reason why I went with the particular firewall um, and unified threat management system that I went with is mainly because of the squid caching that PFSense has. Um, that's kind of helped a lot. Uh, it's kind of kind of spooky on how much this thing takes care of us. All right, so we'll we'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, for, for for now, before we get to software, let's talk about hardware. Um, what I'm sure all of our audience knows, <clears throat> but what maybe your aunt doesn't know, and you're trying to explain to her why uh, she might need something uh, different. Those those off the shelf routers have the tiniest little processors in them, just the bare minimum to do the job. Chris says he's got an old P4 running. That's like a hundred times as powerful as what most of these things have in them. They're running chips that um, have never been strong enough to be in, you know, even the the VIC-20 was a more powerful chip than what they're putting in these things because they don't do much. For most people, uh, right. You you're going to be browsing, you know, and a really busy day, five websites at once, 
and you might have your iPad streaming um, uh, Pandora and you might have, you might be watching Netflix. So, you know, worst case scenario, four or five devices in the average house. So uh, go ahead, I, just, I don't, I don't know much about the actual programming behind firewalling. I understand the concept and, and settings and things like that, but does it require a logarithmic increase in resources to manage multiple streams? Uh, so like the more connections speaking, I have. Yes. Generally speaking, uh, most, most uh, hardware will do what's called stateful packet inspection. And what that means is that it will open up every data packet that goes through it and look to see if it's allowed or not. That's really kind of the only way you can do um, uh, a firewall in any meaningful way. So yeah, the more packets you're shoving through at a time, the uh, the the more processing power it takes. And so anything more than just a couple of connections, and those things can can just be overwhelmed. Does the bandwidth affect that as well? Absolutely. The more bandwidth yep. you have, the more right. packets you're pushing through. So I've got my 12 meg or 14 meg down. Unless I go to Wisconsin and stay in that hotel, then I got 22 meg up or whatever crazy amount I had that time. Yeah, that <laughs> that could be a pretty ferocious well generally speaking and i'm making these numbers up so don't hold me to them your typical off-the-shelf router can handle one computer going just all out gigabit and it would be fine because it's 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 not so much the bandwidth as the number of connections so you may yeah. be pulling a lot of packets through a single connection but once it's already proved that connection it it's fine it's uh, making it's making the connections and breaking the connections that that wears them out so surfing yeah. is more more obtrusive than downloading. Right, exactly. And so, uh, and things like um, uh, online video games, where you're sending lots of data back and forth about different things from different uh, uh, resource servers, can really kill them. So that even you know, uh, you got two guys, uh, two college kids in a in a house, uh, trying to play World of Warcraft. They're probably going to kill your basic cheap server. Yeah, your your basic router. Um, even even a pretty high end one you can. I was over at my buddy's house and they have the same provider that I do, but they have a cheap D link. And the, the the action of me and him logging into Steam together to play a game of Left for Dead was too much for that D link. Uh it could be that the zombies were eating your extra packets. Yeah, it could be. It could be, but we were shooting a lot of them, so I don't know. We we might have took care of a few of them. <laughs> so yeah, the more zombies you kill, the fewer problems you have. Um, so that's that's talking about uh, uh, some of the hardware issues, and and again, they're designed for you know the the single mom with six year olds who just don't put a hurting on the internet much. Um, but they're also designed for the very non technical user because the the last thing uh, Cisco or Belkin or D-Link want to do is answer service calls. They have sold you this dirt cheap piece of equipment, barely made any money on it. They want to be done with you. They don't want to be answering your support calls. So they make them very easy to set up and that's to their credit. However, oftentimes simplicity and security don't go hand in hand. One of the things that uh, is very popular and has been for a long time is called the UPNP, Universal Plug and Play. And it's a pack, it's a uh, protocol by which say your Xbox can tell your firewall Hey, I need this open. Open up a port for me. Your firewall says, "Sure, go right ahead." <clears throat> and so now your firewall is letting your your Xbox do what you want it to do. Your TiVo can say, "Hey, I need this port open to go out." 
can uh, go ahead and open this port. And the firewall says, sure, I'll do that. Which then again, pretty much makes your firewall pointless. Because if yep. you can plug a hole in it at random anytime you want with just a simple software request, what good is it? So hackers figured that out and started making software that would open UPnP ports, you know, at random anytime they wanted to send spam through your firewall. And the other thing is that with UPnP, they can actually open up your firewall and then reconnect to it from outside and change your firewall. Right. Right. So that, yeah, they can say, open up a port because I need remote access. Then they, you know, let the remote access in and then they can do whatever they want to because they own your box. So, you know, bad things. <laughs> UPnP is a bad thing, but it's never going to go away because um, manufacturers like it because it's easy. And and manufacturers of other, like Microsoft likes it for their Xbox because people will call their tech support if they can't get a connection to Xbox Live. So it's not going anywhere. And it's not necessarily a terrible idea. It's just not well implemented. Yeah. And another one that's very new in the news is the WPS vulnerability, Windows uh, Protected Security, uh, Wireless Protection. I don't, Wireless Protection, I don't remember what it is. But it's a system uh, by which your wireless devices uh, can seamlessly connect with other wireless devices. So you bring your uh, your new iPhone home, and uh, and I, I say iPhone because I know it's one of the things that supports it. So you bring your new iPhone home, and it asks the wireless network, hey, is there a wireless network here? Can I connect? The wireless network says, sure, go right ahead. Connect away. Again, good idea. Handy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to enter any long keys or, or anything like that. You don't need, need to know what the SSID is. But um, if it's misused and nothing out there has ever been released that somebody hasn't tried to misuse, if it's misused, people from the outside can pretend they're you wanting to connect and connect. And, and once they're, that's the thing about wireless. Once they're connected to the wireless, they're on the back end of the firewall. So they're connected as if they were sitting in your living room. Yeah. Wi-Fi protected setup. Thank you, Nightstar. I knew that's uh, that somebody would catch me on that when I didn't know what it was. The internet is great for that. If you're wrong, they will quickly connect cor- correct you. <laughs> Thank you, my second brain. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, wireless uh, Wi-Fi protected setup is broken uh, just from the very start on some of these devices. Now, my new Linksys, uh, excuse me, Cisco, because Cisco bought Linksys uh, router that I just bought has one of those buttons on it where you push the button and you're um, automatically connected on a device that supports it. My Windows 7 laptop supports it. I don't know if uh, Linux has supported that in any of their uh, latest uh, iterations or not. But I couldn't yeah. tell you. I've never used it. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty new, but it's also newly broken. So there, just a couple of reasons why if you're a security conscious person or a power user, you might not want to use just a store-bought, off-the-shelf router. Uh, what's interesting is uh, the WPS thing. You're supposed to have a, a four-digit code that you have to enter. But what a lot of the lazy manufacturers have doing have started doing is giving everybody the same four-digit code so that they don't have to print multiple labels. They can just print one label with the same four-digit code on it and slap it on a 1,000 devices. That's handy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> handy, handy for the hackers. Right. Not something that you want to do uh, if you're security conscious, but if you're in the uh, interest of just being as lazy as possible, it's a great thing. So the Boris box is not necessarily lazy, 
but secure. Yeah, and, and that's a, that's actually kind of a that's getting more into what I was talking about the wireless security as opposed to just a a stateful firewall type thing. Because once you said, like you said, once they do that, they're already behind the firewall. Right. <laughs> yep. You've already let them in the castle gate and shut the portacloths behind them and set them down for dinner, and then realize that they're in the castle. so aaron uh, just because this we've named this whole episode after it give us a very quick uh 30 second version of the boris box story okay (laughs) so i was working in 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 healthcare it in texas and we needed a firewall we were using um what were we using before i don't don't remember some kind of older hardware appliance it just wasn't doing what we needed to do we needed a few more few more features to be able to, we need to put, be able to have a little more control. We need something a little, a little more tough. I actually had done a little minor, minor penetration test myself and found that it was pretty bad. So we called our ISP because my boss was a, was a MCSE database person, um, you know, regular networking stuff, but she didn't really have any experience on like uh, DMZs and firewalls and that kind of stuff in the real world. And, uh, and I was all application and desktop stuff at that time. And so, the guy said, I'll tell you what, I've got this guy here, and I can't remember his name. I think I called him Boris. So they can't, his real name was like Kafka or something. I can't remember what his name is. And and uh, I'll get him to set you up a Linux firewall. And we're like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. I'd, I'd heard of Linux, heard of Unix. He said, don't worry about it. He'll set it up. So anyway, a couple of days later, this guy shows up. Uh, he's got a, an old Dell putty-colored, you know, like a GX100 or something. The beige box. Exactly. Two network cards in it. Um, takes it in our server closet, you know, takes the, uh, cable right out of the, I think, I think at that time we had, a uh, T1 plugs in one, takes it, plugs another network cable from that and goes to our main switch and says, she's done. <laughs> We're like, what do you mean she's done? <laughs> and he, he, he sat down, you know, he, pulled, he brought it up on the screen and he, we gave him our public IP address and stuff. He tap, 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 all the command line. She's done. And I was like, what, what do you mean she's done? Firewall's done. She set up. No, nobody gets in. Nobody gets out unless you want them to. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I went back, did my penetration test. Sure enough, everything was totally. It was like we did not exist. We we were KGB approved at that point. And uh, so anytime we wanted to, to do anything, though, we had to call Boris, and Boris would connect to it from the ISP and fix it. But it was always very clandestine. It'd be like, Boris, we've got to open this VPN tunnel with this vendor for such and such. What IP? You know, ten blah blah blah. Click, 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 click. She done. <laughs> you know, that was it. That was all we ever got from her. And was, so how, can you tell me how to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> if I tell you, I must kill you. I was like, well, what did you do before? He said, I, my, my most recent job, I set up 8,000 computers at University of Stalingrad or something like that. And uh, he literally had done that. He had, um, he had uh, Chris, are you leaning on your keyboard there? What's going on? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, he had he had worked for the University of Stalingrad and set up like computers in their on their whole campus and everything. And then he came to the United States. The second thing I remember most about him was that he smelled really bad. <laughs> <laughs> not only was he European, but he was also a geek. So two reasons not to bathe, I guess. So but, uh, yeah, that so, was it. We had this awesome firewall that just sat in our closet and ran. And if we needed a port open, we called Boris and he opened a port for us. So since the first time that Aaron told this story on the show, we've re- referred to any beige box server as a Boris box. Yep. Boris <laughs> box. So today we're going to talk about, you know, setting up your own Boris box. I'm uh, telling you, Mark, if you, if you wrote a, po- a post about that and put it on the line, you know, how to build a Boris box, I bet you it would 
catch on. We'd have our own <laughs> meme. Yes. The bo- <laughs> the, the borders move. She is done. She yep. she works. <laughs> Do nothing. You just call me. You need help. Pete in the chat room says, "Es moose and squirrel." <laughs> and then, uh, well, then I told you about my coworker who, who the guy came and fixed his washing machine. You know, and his wife's like, "Do we need to test it?" He said, "I fixed lot. It work." <laughs> you know, she's like, "Oh, okay." And then he says, "You have cash?" <laughs> yes, I do. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yeah, you have to pay lot. Boris in cash. Yeah, apparently. Uh, uh, he wants things untraceable. So, what tool can you use if you want to build a Boris box? And Chris has already mentioned his favorite, PFSense. I'll let you go into a little more detail about that, Chris. PFSense is a Unix derivative that runs on pretty much anything you can throw it on. Um, it's basically just like the Boris box. You throw PFSense on a CD or a thumb drive, you install the thing. And then you access it by a web interface to configure it. Um, there are a ton of extra packages that you can install as well. I'm using the antivirus scan and Squid and Dan's Guardian are the three packages that I have on top of PFSense. So I have content filtering, a local proxy, and a antivirus scanning all the packets coming in. All right, so tell people what Squid is and why they want it. Why do you want an, an aquatic cephalopod in your <laughs> Boris box? The nice thing about having a, the Squid installed in your Boris box is then you can actually cache your most used pages. So, like, in my house, we do a lot of – my wife does a lot of Facebooking and a lot of Google stuff. So the nice thing is is anything that's a repetitive – that would be a repetitive download, it isn't – going out to the internet again it's staying local so the speeds for the stuff that like uh, the facebook banners or the google plus banners all that stuff stays local so it's immediately available the other thing i have it configured for is windows updates so if one of my machines in the network grab a windows update they're then now local and they don't have to keep going to microsoft for more so the speeds for updates are almost instant um, I was doing an update just yesterday on my son's XP box after I did an update on my other laptop that, that's XP. And the updates were like, you know, downloading this update, done. Downloading this update, done. And it, it was just immensely quicker. Well, I want to go back to one thing. Mark, aren't all cephalopods aquatic? Uh, I don't know. I just okay, wanted anyway, to, to leave the possibility open <laughs> that there might be a land-based cephalopod. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding. Anyway, that's that's really cool. You know, I I don't have. I wish I knew what Boris was actually running. Of course, this was seven, eight years ago, but it could very well have been, you know, one of the ones we have in the show notes or are going to be in the show notes. Right. And you got me now wanting to go make my own Boris box just for the fun of it. <laughs> yeah, so a, a word on caching. Caching is everywhere. Your browser caches things that you've been to before. Your ISP is caching things. My Their wife. ISP is caching things. Uh, caching is all over the place, and it's important uh, because it keeps you from having to, to go back and waste the bandwidth on those things all over again. I know at my school, where we have uh, you know thousands of concurrent connections at a time, there is a noticeable difference in performance when I turn caching on or off. Um, and periodically, I have it set to go and purge the cache because sometimes you can get something stale, like a Facebook page, that, that it, and they're supposed to be pretty smart about that, and most of the time they are. But sometimes you'll get something stuck, and so I'll update the website, and you know, four days later, 
it's not there in half of our browsers. The other half see them uh, and, and half of them don't. So you have to periodically purge your cache. And most systems will have some uh, automated way to do that. The bigger you set your cache, the, the more stale you let things get, the more performance you get out of it. So there's always this balance between a stale cache versus going and refreshing your cache. Because every time you refresh your cache, you go out and download the thing that you were trying to cache so that you wouldn't have to download it. Right. And caching does not help generally on large downloads because that they they tend to be one-offs anyway. So it's yep. not going to make your torrents download faster. It'll make your pages load faster. Unless you're torrenting the same file over and over and over. Right. And I don't then know it might do that. I don't know either. Silly. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you're a moron. No, uh, we, we wouldn't do say that. <laughs> <laughs> no squid for you. Um, the, the next one, the one that I have used, uh, is, and, you know, up until very recently, it's called IPCOP. And IPCOP is a derivative of Smoothwall. Uh, the, that's the thing about open sources, uh, projects. They're kind of like churches. They get into a fight over the color of the carpet and somebody goes off and forms a new church. Um, uh, open source projects are just as, just the same way. Somebody didn't like something going on at Smoothwall. So they went and, and made IPCOP. Um, and I like IP cop cause it's a little more gooey. It's a, a you know, easier to manage and a less command line stuff, but would uh, Seth you, approve of it. Uh, Seth would approve of IP okay. cop. He really would. Um, <laughs> he'd probably approve of PF sense too. Cause it's pretty gooey driven as well. I've seen PF sense. It's yeah, it's a lot better. Is it Linux based or is it BSD based? It's Unix based. Unix based. Okay. Yep. It's, it, it's, they, they took the idea from Smoothwall, and they, of course, got in a fight, and so they spread it off, and PFSense was born. Right. So it's very similar to Smoothwall for the back end. Yeah, Smoothwall is where I got my start, and then I moved from Smoothwall to, to IPCOP. And the thing about firewalls is they're not something you're going to upgrade often, not something you're going to change often. They're, they're an appliance. They're a toaster. You're going to set them up once and generally forget about them. You might upgrade if uh, you get a note that some security vulnerability has been found or whatever. But my um, my firewall, my IP cop, is a uh, a laptop that came with Windows ninety eight on it. So it's that. Wow. It's got uh, one built in NIC, and I put a PM PCMCIA NIC because it doesn't even have USB support. That's how old it is. Uh, so I put a, a PC card NIC in it, um, and so I've got one going to the the internet, one going to the LAN, and it's got uh, 32 megs of RAM, maybe <laughs> not much at all. Uh, and like a, a, a 500 meg hard drive, not even a gig. Hard probably drive. got 16 or more, 16 times the meg of RAM that's in your D link router right, at home. Right. So even <laughs> with those terrible specs, it is far uh, superior to, uh, cause it's a Pentium class processor. It's far better than, uh, anything, um, uh, other than uh, other anything more than what you would get uh, off the shelf, unless you're buying, uh, you know, something enterprise grade. And but my enterprise grade thing at school, I have a, an enterprise rack mount hardware. It's running on a 486 processor, <laughs> um, and it handles tens of thousands of concurrent connections without blinking. So it just doesn't take much to do this stuff. This stuff is all hardware optimized. So any machine you've got, if it's reliable, I mean, if you can turn it on and know that it's going to stay on for weeks or months or years at a time, then it's good. If it's something that you have to babysit, you you don't want to use it for that. Let me do a quick sidebar. Um, is it if you if you're the person that has one PC at home and it takes so little to run this, could you run it on your own local machine that is also your home machine and and be happy with that? 
Um, is that possible? Is that even doable? I mean, I know obviously Windows has a built-in firewall that's supposed to be doing the same kinds of things. No, there's no good way to run a firewall on the same machine you're running your connections on. Now, like you said, Windows has a firewall. Linux has a firewall. Uh, Mac OS, I think, can have a firewall. I don't think it comes on by default. But they're not the same because you have to get to the hardware first. You have to go through the OS. You have to. So if the OS is broken, then there's no, there's nothing there. It won't even see it. You know, if there's a back door somewhere, um, in the uh, in the uh, OS, mm-hmm. it could be corrupted long before it ever got to the part of the the software that said there's a firewall engaged. Right. So just for hypotheticals, for fun, what if I were to run a virtual machine. What if I had three NIC cards in my PC and I ran a virtual machine and I assigned two of the NIC cards to the virtual machine. One of those was my internet out in and my internet out and my other NIC card was on the main machine and it was running to the switch. And so traffic actually came in, went through my virtual machine as a firewall and went back out to the switch and then back to my main PC. Could that work? That's even worse because now you've added another layer of software that could be broken. Yep. So there's all those layers that have to work exactly right for you to be secure. Well, I would think in a situation like that, you would want to go down and buy a $9 router at Micro Center. Right. If you only have the one computer. <laughs> yeah. If you only have one machine, so the, it'd be pointless. So the person who's out there thinking about it and wondering what they're going to do, I just thought that would uh, that might be funny to, to ask the question. Yeah. And yeah, all, yeah, well, all wireless things that you buy at the store have a router built in. Yes. So there, if you've got wireless in your house, you have a router. Uh, a router. It just may not be the best router you can have, but it may be good enough for you. Right. The only other thing that you might get is the single person running the, of if you wanted to run something like PFSense or uh, some of the other ones that have the add-ins like Squid, um, it would be the caching factor. You know, the, you might save some bandwidth with that, but other than I don't know why you would need such an appliance for just one person. Right. But unless you just like doing this sort of stuff. In, the, yeah. which, in which case, then, that 0.01% performance is something you can get all excited about. <laughs> it's optimized. It's working better. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and just so you guys know, um, I pulled the, the squid reports for my network here locally. And since February, um, I have cached or I have pulled from cache 10% of my network bandwidth since the beginning of February. So, so you've saved 90%. No, you've saved 10% of your saved, downloads. Yep. I've saved 10%. Yeah. So you could, but that's, down- that's, but that's, um, that's really, that doesn't mean you save 10% of your downloads because that's not that 90% accounts for all your internet traffic period, which a lot of stuff on the internet is, is like, you're talking about the one-off stuff too, where you're just browsing around. I wonder of actual downloads like windows updates and pages you went to repetitive, I wonder. Does that mean? I, that I wonder if you can. I wonder if you can equate that to. You only go to ten percent of your traffic is actually only cacheable. I would think well, so. Maybe. I would. Well, like for this one right here, um, I have it broken up by days too. On the the tenth of February, I did five gigabytes of traffic in and out. I was able to pull one gigabyte of that cache or one gigabyte of that traffic as cache only. So that's twenty percent on that day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saving a lot of traffic, which then frees up my internet for other things. Right, and and again, it may that twenty percent may not be a big deal if you've got enough broadband. But Chris barely qualifies as broadband, 
So saving 20% of his bandwidth is a big deal. He's just chubby band. Yeah. Aaron and I, I've got 15 uh, and I've got 20 and Aaron's got 15. So, I mean, we can, we can afford some waste because we happen to live in relatively urban areas with copper running straight to our house where Chris has something maybe made of cobalt or something. (laughs) I have three down just in case people wanted to know. Which is not bad. I mean, I'm making fun of it. Three, three megabits is a lot. It wasn't, wasn't five years ago that I had, uh, you know, 500 megabits. I mean, uh, uh, a 0.5, 500 kilobits and was just super happy about it. <laughs> so it's all, it's all relative. Um, when I'm trying to remember, I think it was five or six years ago, my entire school ran off a, off a single T1, which is 1.5 megabits. So we had 900 users on 1.5 megabits. And so wow. I, I, my house, I have 10 times that for effectively three users. You know, my wife uh, doesn't do much but Facebook. Uh, I'm the heavy user, and then my oldest daughter uses some, and that's about it. So, uh, well, I just got 11 down and one and a half up while we were streaming in doing <laughs> yeah, Skype. That's what you had left over to work with. <laughs> while we're streaming video guys, and audio. and <laughs> You guys suck. <laughs> yeah, I get great bandwidth when it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yours just gets yeah, I, tired. Yours is more of a sprint, Mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. We're getting Grammy updates uh, from Pete in the chat room. And he says, Mark, you need a mic that picks up your voice perfectly, even when your mouth is closed, like Rihanna's does. <laughs> so apparently yeah, somebody, bad I saw something syncing. on Facebook earlier saying, lip syncing at the Grammys, really? Yeah. That's only good for the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing that we've talked about on this show before is Untangle. Untangle is different than IP Cop or Dan's Guardian or wait we we haven't we'll get back to Dan's Guardian or PF Sense or um, uh, Smoothwall in that it is a what's called a uh, unified threat maintenance and and PF Sense is as well and 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 uh, IP Cop to a lesser extent it is it in, aims to be not just a firewall but a content filter a spam filter um, uh, an ad blocker all that stuff at the firewall level so instead of having to have an ad blocker on your browser, a plug-in making things run slower, you can actually block known ad servers at the firewall and they never get to your uh, box. Uh, same with, with uh, spam. You can have it check all uh, mail coming through before it ever hits your client, <laughs> which does, yep. doesn't do any good for me because I use Gmail, <laughs> so I don't really have a client, but you could do it that way. Um, the, uh, Untangle is, is, I think, unsurpassed for simplicity and and ease of use, I, it's what I use at my school behind the the big firewall. I, I run two. I don't use the firewall part of Untangle. I use it for the the packet filtering and the content filtering, all that good sort of stuff. Um, and it's it's a freemium model. Most most much of it is free, but the really cool stuff that you might want in the enterprise, like if you wanted to uh, connect it to Active Directory, or if you wanted to packet shape and say that this application can only get X. KB of bandwidth and this application could get more, you can pay for those components. But for the yep. home user, that's stuff you're not going to use anyway. Untangle is great. Now, let me say all of these things that we've mentioned IP Cop, Smooth Wall, Dan's, uh, I keep saying Dan's Guard because it's in the list, PF Sense, uh, Untangle, they totally take over your box. So, like Aaron was talking about, it, it's not something you want to install alongside your regular operating system. It will totally take over your computer and it needs two network cards, at least two. You can do three yep. if you want to do 
uh, DMZing. Or more. Yeah, you can do yeah multiple. But you need minimum two network cards and a dedicated box. But we can split we off our own one and call it Skynet. <laughs> yeah, because geeks would, would really feel safe around something called Skynet, wouldn't they? Well, it takes <laughs> over the box. So. Right. <sighs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Um, now, the thing that I keep stumbling over, I'm going to go ahead and talk about that. Dan's Guarding is a content filter. It is not a firewall. It is something you plug into your firewall. And a fellow named Dan invented a uh, Perl, I think it is, script that uh, analyzes things that go in through the squid proxy. So we already talked about squid. So you already get good proxying, but it reads what com- what comes into squid, uh, and it does more than most other content filters out there. It's not just a block list of URLs that aren't allowed. It actually scans the content of every page as it comes through, does a word count, and there can be plus words and minus words. So if you're, um, you may have the word breast have a plus three, but the word cancel, cancer have a minus three. So if the word breast cancer is in the page, that's a neutral page. But if the word breast boob is in the page, that's plus three plus five, and you may set your limit at eight, and so that page gets blocked. So it's really ultimately uh, customizable like that. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons I use IPCOP is it uh, has a really good GUI for Dan's Guardian. Dan's Guardian itself doesn't have any GUI at all. Other people have grafted things onto it. Um, but I, and IP cop is one of those where you can control it. You can plug it right in there to IP cop. Uh, how does that work in PF sense, Chris? Um, you know, I really haven't played with it too much yet. It's installed, but I haven't configured it. Okay. So, uh, so. The, the way you set that up and you can do multi multi-level if, if you have it distinguishing between users, like in a, in a school setting, you could have the, the staff group have different level of, of, uh, filtering than the elementary group uh, have a different level than the middle school group have a different level than the high school group. And so it's all based on weights. And once you dial in those weights and there's a lot of uh, setup work, but once you get those dialed in, it's really, I think the best uh, filter out there and smoothwall.com, the corporate side of smoothwall.org has their content filter where, where they hired Dan and they said, Dan, come work with us. And you're going to be our CTO, our chief technology officer, and you're going to make this work. And so uh, Dan's Guardian itself, the project, is pretty stacked. It hasn't been had a significant update in a long time because it doesn't really need it. It works really well. Dan has been focusing over at smoothwall.com on building a really simple, really powerful enterprise-grade uh, content filter. So if you're a school or uh, a business interested in that, then that's I highly recommend you go there, smoothwall.com. They'll sell you an appliance, or you can uh, put it on your own box uh, with uh, everything that, that we've talked about with Dan's Guardian, but with a really slick GUI and great reporting and things split off by uh, all sorts of different categories. And you support a guy who started out in open source. Now it's his paycheck, but he got the job. Basically, Dan's Guardian ended up being his resume. He put yeah. it out there. And um, what do you call it? Uh, something like uh, adoration wear or something. He dedicated it to his girlfriend. And so it wasn't freeware. It wasn't necessarily open source, uh, it, but it was, it was just, you know, I'm doing this because I love my girlfriend and she supports me. Uh, but, and then later he GPL'd it and, and w- went from there. So, um, but if you're a school or a single user, you can use it for free. Yeah. He, he has a weird sort of, it's GPL, but not quite. It, it's kind of weird. Um, but he says it's Stallman approved. So it's GPL that you have to pay for. Now, if you're running anything based on Debian, 
Debian bought the license. It was only a thousand bucks or something like that. The license to own and redistribute Dan's Guardian. So any Debian-based distribution, being Ubuntu or Mint or any of those derivatives, you can app get install Dan's Guardian and it's there and you have it for free because Debian paid for it. Whether you're a business or a school or, or what. Yep. Wow. I just ramble off a lot of stuff there. Did that make sense? Yes. Okay. Well, I followed it pretty well, so. Good. <laughs> and you agreed with Wikipedia, so. Okay. As long as I agree with uh, uh, difference between smoothwall.org and smoothwall.com. Smoothwall.org is uh, for home use. Yep. Smoothwall.com is for enterprise use. So smoothwall.com is smoothwall.org plus, 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 plus. Everything smoothwall.org has plus all sorts of enterprise stuff, plus a big price tag. It's expensive. It's one of the more expensive ones out there, but it's also, I think, the best. And I've tried, I've tried a, a number of them, uh, and I think it's the one of the best out there. How would you rate the difference between a paid untangled and a paid smooth wall? Um, I can't necessarily uh, tell you that, but my understanding of the paid untangle is that it doesn't do the web, the the smart analyzing of content. It's just a better block list. Okay. Because at my school, we have the paid untangled because we wanted the caching and everything. And we're noticing that the only thing that we're having a problem with is untangled is uh, eating up a huge machine in order to run for our network. Um, it, it's a very large server, um, eight cores and 16 gigs of RAM. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a beast. Oh, wow. And Mine is way less than that. And I have more computers than you do. Right, but we have um, we have all the content filtering stuff going through it. We okay. have we have caching. We have um, uh, what's the name of it? I can't think of it now off the top of my head. What is it called? Balancing. We have network oh, okay. balancing okay. between two legs. So that that's part of it. And I'm, we're trying to figure out what is the 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 beast that's eating up this machine because we're still going through. You know, on the old dual core, it would hit high and then on the process use and you also forget using anything then on the internet. Now we still get high usage where it says, you know, you're at your, your high, but it's only for a short time and we're trying to figure out what it is. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't have that experience. Uh, we're getting, we're getting a little long here. I don't, I don't want to take this, make this a two hour show. Um, but I will, I do want to say that, uh, a lot of the, the content filters out there that we've talked about, these these block lists, are based off of a, a tool called SquidGuard. So you have your Squid proxy. It's paying attention to everything that comes in anyway. So some guys figured out it was pretty trivial to say, okay, these things that come in, don't cache it, just block it, deny it, re yep. redirect it to this block page. So And there are these, uh, lists, uh, these free lists out there that, that people uh, uh, check in, and you know they go out and, and they browse around and, and they classify it as being porn or being hate speech or being um, nudity or, or whatever. And and you so you can do all this absolutely free, and it's fine, but it's it's always a cat and mouse game. It's yep. always somebody puts something out there, you have to wait for it to be found, um, and then you have to um, add it to your block list, then it's blocked. And now Untangle, for example, they have a team of people that they are pay, have paid full-time to do just that. So that's one of the things, one of the reasons that their uh, paid filter is expensive, but it's still just a URL block. 
Uh, whereas Dan's Guardian is, uh, and the Smooth Guardian uh, product of Smoothwall is AI for all, all intents and purposes. It's it's crude AI, but it is AI. It's it's scanning the content of the page, batching it up against things that you have uh, predefined and blocking or denying uh, or, or allowing based on what you say. Yeah. But, you know, my, my also, the thing I figured out is that blacklist, you know, like you're saying, Mark, is a cat and mouse game, but, you know, it, blacklists don't really work either, though, because, you know, we, we can't blacklist or blacklist all the spam providers. So right. it's, it, it's like you said, a cat and mouse game. So, and then you get the issue of, of URL blacklisting as versus, versus site blacklisting. So like you, you won't, don't want to blacklist, um, GeoCities to go to something that doesn't even exist anymore because there's lots of good stuff on GeoCity or was and lots of crap on GeoCities. So then you end up having to allow GeoCities but block GeoCities slash Sunset Strip slash 113948. I think that's what their URLs used to look like. Um, so, you know, it gets, it gets tricky. And so uh, an intelligent, quote unquote, intelligent system makes a lot more sense. Um, uh, you know, I've recommended Open DNS a lot on the show, and they're just a blacklist too. I mean, they just yeah, uh, they they can't even do URL filtering. It's all domain based. Yep. But you know, it is what it is. But in all in all, you know, having a nice beige box with one of these systems running, you'll see a performance increase also inside your inside your network. Like we we're saying before, yeah. Um, for example, my box. Has a gigabit card on both ends, and then got gigabit switches in my entire house. So now, when I'm doing tra- file transfers, I'm running at the f- at a gigabit speed instead of, you know, hitting that bottleneck when it hit the router, and you know, turn into sludge because it's can't move at the same speed that all the rest of the machines are. Yeah. So just a quick uh, rundown of what you might choose to use. I like an old laptop. Find one with a busted screen. You can pick those up on eBay for ten bucks. Uh, yep. and you know, you don't need a screen. You hook it up to a monitor to configure it. Then you slide it under the bed. It's quiet. It's low heat. It's low power and it runs forever. It's done. And it's got an, a built-in battery backup, <laughs> you know, because laptops it, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is done. Um, or, you know, just any, any spare box you've got laying around that you can stick somewhere. It doesn't have to have anything special, you know, like a hundred megahertz processor or more is fine. It doesn't take much to do this. Right. And like I said, but, even even the 100 megahertz processor is probably faster than what's in the Linksys thing that you're running now. It could be. Okay, so I think we're going to wrap up that part of the conversation. We could we could spend the next 3 hours going off on this because there's it's it's one of those things that's easy to geek out about. Uh but you know, guys listening live, if you have any questions, feel free to throw them in there and we'll address them as we go. But for now, let's move on to our tips of the week. So Mr. Chris Neves what is our command line tip of the week? SFTP. Bless you. Yes. Uh, I figured I'd get something like that. Um, what SFTP is, is a command line version of a uh, FTP client. And I used it this week, which is why I'm bringing it up, because I forgot a couple of things about SFTP when I was using it. But uh, the thing works really well. There's a nice good write-up on Wikipedia about what the client is, how, you know, all the switches and all the commands are. The other thing that I like about it is you can browse both local and remote for your file system. So if you're trying to find that one file that you forgot where it is, 
you can also browse on your local side and the remote side to find where that needs to go and then move it accordingly. Um, I was working on our um, our Fox server, and I needed to move a, a kernel file over to it because it wouldn't download from the uh, uh, website or the, the, the web-based control system. So I had to actually go and download it myself and move it over there without um, any interaction with the browser. So it was a try. It was a little bit of a trivial issue to do, but you got to remember that a capital P is different than a lowercase p. Yes. <laughs> that took me five minutes, five to ten minutes to remember that. Oh yes, if I need to change the port, it's a capital P. And I contend that that is not a feature. It is a bug. <laughs> that file uh, case sensitivity in a file system is a bug, not a feature. So, Mark, you might want a file named Mark with a lowercase m and another file named Mark with a capital M. <laughs> no. You never know when you might need that. Yeah, yeah. and that's the, the, the Linux zealots will say that all the time. It's more precise, and you can have all these different files. If you camel hump something, you can have 15 different file names with the same name. No, it's a bug. It's not well, a feature. It's a bug. That sounds like trying. a topic for periodic table there. When you start talking about camel humping. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, uh, thank you. but the uh, yeah, Oracle and Microsoft SQL are the same way. You know, Microsoft SQL when you do transact SQL scripts, it's it's case insensitive. You can cause it to be case sensitive. You can look for case. You can change case within strings of text. But Oracle is case specific on every search. Uh, so it, it's, it can be a little frustrating, especially if you do like me and you've done mostly Microsoft SQL, and then you jump into Oracle for a little bit, and you're like, why isn't this working? Right. It's exactly the right command. Why isn't it working? Yeah. So Aaron, I can't find a single mark in the entire database. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Aaron, you mentioned the periodic table. Where would they find that and other shows if they were so interested? They could find a, literally a myriad or plethora of shows at elementop.com if they show cho- so chose, shows chose, if they, if they decide to go there. Um, that's where all okay, the shows. That was are my based. mistake. Picking a guy who's drugged out on Nyquil to do the yeah, exactly the part of the show. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know if you heard on the end of one meal workout, Mark. Yet, but if you listen to the whole thing, I, I let Don do the closeout. You know, remember right. for the, he, he totally flubbed it. It was awesome. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, elementopi.com uh, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash elementopi. That's where we've got the all the great stuff is on the main elementopi.com website. We've got the the chat room. We got the forums. We've got the live stream each week. We've got just a an incredible array of things to choose from. We can even receive a voice fill from you, or you can type your number in, and Opie will call you, and you can leave a voicemail for the show, and we will play it on the show, um, unedited, unabridged, unless of course it's really, really bad. Uh, so just <laughs> make sure it's it's radio broadcast appropriate, of course. Um, but yeah, five five nine. I am Opie, O P I E, and we'd love to hear from our listeners. We need more show topics. That's right. We're out. We're done. Boris is the end. This was the last of our uh, seven or eight uh, string of, of show topics. So next week, you're going to get something like, um, hey, Chris, what did you play with for five minutes this week that we can do a show about? <laughs> Somebody yeah, put something in, in the forums this week. Um, I don't know if it's an actual show topic or not. Let me, let me, I'll just jump in there while we're talking. Go ahead, everybody. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so yeah, um, Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're you're the you're, you're the chief. You go first. All right. Well, I was just going to say that we uh we we really are a community driven show. Uh, we need to know what we're talking about. And and the chatter in the chat room right now 
the chatter in the chat room that, that would be uh, redundantly repetitive um, is that most of the stuff we do leads you on to have to go do research of your own because we only have you know a little bit of time here hour hour and a half at the most to cover a, a broad subject if there's something you want us to go back and delve deep into let us know and we'll try to pick something apart maybe we'll make a you know a six or eight podcast series off of these web things where we talk about uh, dig deep into to caching and all that sort of stuff. Now that's uber geeky, and it's not so much the the uh, uh, a noob friendly way to do things. But if you are uh, uh, audience requests that, we'll do it. Yeah, put a show, put a, a post up in the forum. You know, if you want to know more about PF Sense and my experiences with it, ask for it. I'll gladly ramble on for an hour about my trials and tribulations of, you know, working with PF Sense. And I know a couple other people that run PF Sense that could uh, add their two bits to it as well. So, all right, guys, any last comments before we close out the show? Not for me. No, no, I'm good. Not unless, uh, oh, good Lord, we have a question about <laughs> Samba. Oh, put a post up. We'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> Samba could take the rest of We could never do another podcast and cover only Samba for the next several years. Yeah, Samba's deep. So having said that, when you have a question, if possible, try to make it a specific question. Now, yeah. I understand that sometimes the, the more, the, the, as specific as you can get is help. And <laughs> we understand that. And we like those kind of questions too. But um, try to be specific about what you need because that helps us in our show prep. It, it may not sound like it, but we actually do a lot of work going into these shows. It, it sounds like we're just talking out of our hind parts, uh, which we do a good bit of that too, but there's actually a lot of work that goes into these shows. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, bring up your posts. Bring up your questions. We'll do what we can. And uh, If you don't want to hear from our hind parts, <laughs> give us good topics. It reminds me of that scene in... Um, um, yep. Yeah, call. Uh, oh my gosh, Jim Carrey. Jim, yes, that one. <laughs> Pet Detective. I'm trying to lead Ace you to Ventura. It. Pet there Detective. you go. That's it. <laughs> I didn't he, want to give it to you totally. Yeah, where he bends over and he's literally talking out of his ass, and he says, "Excuse me, may I ask you a question? <laughs> Do you have was, a mint? Perhaps some banaka?" That was the absolutely worst scene in the movie. Yeah. But it's a and classic. At the same time. I love that movie. Okay. Before we ramble on about bad 90s movies, we've already talked about bad lip syncing, lip syncing in the Grammys. So uh, let's uh, just call this quits. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.